Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yes, all is well. I'm back in the shed. Best place to be, I'm sure. Away from the, the insanity of the day. Definitely in my house. It was my son's birthday, so I've escaped for an hour or two with you. Well, happy birthday to your son. Yeah, he's had a good one, to be fair. No tech, though. No tech. No tech. He had a, a radio control car that you have to build. So proper boy, boys' toys in my house, so that was good. That's pretty cool. I always wanted one of them. Yeah, me too. I think I'm living my childhood through him at the moment. Living vicariously through your children is completely allowed. I think most parents do. I I remember as a kid, my, my dad buying some soccer set thing, which you got big hand gloves for that he would kick balls at me. I think he fancied being more of a footballer than he was. It's just one of those things that you pass on. Yeah, no, definitely. So I, I was quite happy with no tech because I, you know, he's just turned 11. I can see there'll be a time very soon where he will want tech and stuff. So it's quite nice that he's having toys and Lego to build. That's pretty cool. And we've got some tech toys to talk about this week. At least potentially we could have ordered some tech toys this week, but we've got the event to go through, haven't we? Yeah, should we get into it? So it's episode 34 and it's the 12th of September, 2022. It is. And we can go straight into a few news and rumors. One isn't so much a, a rumor. It's that iOS 16 will be out for phones and just phones. I think, uh, possibly watches as well. Um, iPod Touch? Maybe. Is that still a thing? I don't know. We did uh, home, how about uh, HomePods? I don't know. I don't know. I possibly. So, so I've got whatever they call it, the iOS 16 HomePod on beta on my HomePods. And so I've turned off the beta. Hopefully they'll pick up the real live one. That's on my minis. I don't know if it's coming out on the big HomePods. So I'll be interested to see because it was taught that the beta was just going to be on the minis, but the real version would come out on the on the big ones as well. So who knows? And of course, your Apple Studio display runs iOS. That is a fair point. Actually, I'd completely forgotten about that. So yeah, obviously my Studio display, I don't know what's going on with that. And I assume tvOS will be out as well. A few things. Anyway, I, I've, I was running the beta, as we've talked about before. I'm sure you were too. When they announced after the event last Wednesday that the final version, it was the release candidate, would be available after that, and shortly was. I took the beta profile off my phone, so I'm running the release candidate, and I'll be back on the normal update train from this point. I may or may not be back on the normal update train. I'm going to see what they put in 6.1, because it sounds like 16.1 is going to be quite big. And so I was just going to say, I think 16.1 is going to drop on Tuesday for the beta channel, because I'm assuming they're going to want to get the iPad and the iPhone on the same 16.1 beta train if that makes sense because they've been a little bit out of sync haven't they they dropped the first 16.1 for the ipad weeks ago haven't done anything with it they've then finished off 16.0 for the iphones and so i think they'll ship all that tomorrow and then they'll start the beta channel properly for 16.1 i'm kind of hoping for an ipad os update because i've got used to the little glitches i've got with stage manager at the moment but it'd be nice to get the next version and hopefully there's a bit more stability in there yeah, I'm sure. So for, for those that don't remember, iOS 16 will come out on Monday at some point, probably about nine o'clock in America in, in San Francisco tends to be about the time we get it sort of after six for us in the UK. And it brings dynamic focus modes. It brings the ability to mess around with your wallpaper a little bit more. It presumably brings some hardware stuff that's enabled by the new phones, which we'll get to at some point, like the always on screen. And it's ready to go. And I got to say, the release candidate has been the least stable one I've had on, I think, since beta four on my phone. I've had a couple of little issues with it. Oh, really? Mine's been pretty solid. I don't have any issues. You forgot to mention widgets on the home screen, by the way. And widgets on the home screen, yeah, which hopefully we'll start to see third party people being able to produce widgets on the home screen. I certainly saw PCalc and others had started putting some out there. Yeah, Overcast has already started supporting it. Peek out, you've mentioned. Obscure has got one where you can just have the shortcut icon on the home screen if you want to use use it as your camera, which I think is kind of a cool workaround. So if you've got, if you use Apple's cameras, great, you've got the button on the home screen. But if you don't, 
you can't have a third party one until now. So the widgets will allow you to have a third party camera app on there. So I think that's that's pretty cool. So what are the issues that you've got? I got two. The first one is I'll, the screen won't dim. So I'll put the phone down and normally you don't always need to lock it. I do tend to lock it as a matter of course anyway, but I stop messing about with it for whatever reason. After, I don't know, whatever it's set to, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, the screen will dim and then it'll turn off and then that's it unless you're looking at it, that attention thing. Sometimes the screen is just staying on. You know, I'll, I'll put it down. Whether I've locked the screen or not, it will come back on, showing my background, the clock, everything, and stay on for minutes. That's a bit of an odd one. Yeah, and it's, it's slightly inconsistent, which is always a worrying one. So I, I don't know if it's related to an app I've been looking at, but it doesn't seem so. I'd say about 40% of the time it does it. I look down at it and the screen's on, and then you know one day I noticed my battery was almost gone by about midday. And I thought, ah, these things are probably related. Yeah, it could well be. It sounds like they could, you know, they're going to be related, aren't they? The screen consumes loads of power. I mean, I must confess, I have experienced load of battery drain on my iPhone. I think just because it's two years old now, it's struggling to get through the day, which is frustrating. Hmm. Well, hopefully it's something that will go away. Maybe it is an app that I'm using. And, you know, it does seem to have settled down a little bit. But certainly when I, not long after I put the release candidate on, I was seeing it a lot more. So we shall see. Now, the other one I've had, and I don't know if this is... I just have noticed it because I'm listening to music rather than podcasts again. But I was out to walk the dog the other day. I was listening to the new album from The Who. Shout out to The Who. Not The Who, W-H-O, The Who, H-U, who are a Mongolian band who are well worth a listen. Genuinely. <laughs> Chris is looking shocked at non-podcast listeners. So, yeah. It's a, I'm not really up on modern music, I guess, but it's a band I've never heard of. But yeah, I will add them to the list. They're well worth listening. They do about the old throat singing, which I'm not going to try and do here. But I was getting spatial audio, which I think it's spatial audio when you turn your head and it's as if the, the device is in the middle of the soundstage, which I don't want when I'm walking along looking for, looking in traffic to see if the dog is you know safe to cross the road or whatever. I'm safe to cross the road. It was panning savagely in between the ears of my, my AirPods Pro. Really did like it. So I don't know if that's an RC feature or that's something for that particular album by The Who. Seems surprising to me. So if you set up personalized spatial audio where you go into settings, you hold the phone, like you put your head, earpods in and then you hold your phone on the side of your head and then it, and you, I think you have to on both sides and it works out what ears you've got. And so you can have more, more individual experience of spatial audio. I tried it on the first beer ages ago and it just broke spatial audio, but that was very early on. So I don't know if you tried that. I guess I haven't really noticed spatial audio that much. Some of my albums have it, but I don't necessarily search it out, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it, I haven't it, seen it. No, it, the answer to your question, no, I haven't done the, the head mapping thing, although I did mean to. I think it presented itself to be in one of the beaters, and I went, oh, I'll go back to that. I never did. But, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Watching films, I completely see the point of the spatial audio thing. We've talked about this before when we're watching a nice film and you sort of look off to one side and you get that sort of where the sound stage is. I quite like that. I don't want it on music. I don't want it anywhere near my music. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on the music bit. I love it on films because I've had my AirPods in or, or my AirPods Max, and I sometimes I look away and I'm like, oh, crumbs, it's coming out the speakers, you know, the device rather than out my headphones. I don't want to wake up somebody in my house. And then it's like, oh, no, it's all right. It's just really good spatial audio. But I'm kind of with you. I'm not that fussed about it on music, I must confess. Yeah, but other than that, I think it's it's fairly solid. When I turn the screen off, when it's happened, the battery's been as good as it was towards the end of the beta process. And I'm quite looking forward to getting some of the, the other little features that are coming along with 16.0, like the continuous live streaming updates and things like that. I presume some of the apps will, I, I, I have will support that. I think the live widgets and, and things are just for Apple apps on this version, but coming to third party on 16.1 was my understanding. And same with Dynamic Island that we'll pick up later as well. 
Yeah, I want to talk about Dynamic Island. Yeah, okay. Anything else for 16.1 you're looking forward to? I just want it on the iPad. I just want a solid version on the iPad. But it just seems like they've kicked a few things down. The, the other big one is, and I think hopefully a lot of people are looking forward to it, is the family album, which I am quite looking forward to. We're just on my son's birthday. I've got some photos. My wife will have some photos. Can we just chuck it in a shared album? So I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to that because we do take a lot of photos of our kids. And it will be nice to have them on one, you know, one album that we can both access. I'm quite happy for my wife to have all my photos, but she's going to want pictures of a book I want to buy. And I've, I've seen it in a shop or something. And I've, I've put it on my read later list or whiteboards in the office, you know, that kind of thing. But everything else, very happy to share it with her. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to be a good feature. I haven't turned it on because I thought I'd wait until I could do it on all my devices and it was in production because I don't want to break any of my photos. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I do slightly worry about. I, I watch the way my kids use telephones. I don't necessarily want all of their pictures appearing in my 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 library, for lots of reasons. But you know that when they use sit and use Snapchat, for example, they, they can they'll take 15 pictures of their face and then and then move on to something else. And everyone's got a message attached. But I think most of those that they take, most apps do this immediately save them to your photo library. And if they're set up to share to me, I don't need 15, you know, separated by a third of a second pictures of both. I can understand that. But I think what is good, though, with this family feature is you you can pick which family members get it and which ones don't. So I was just looking initially just to do it with my wife. And then if you do add in things like your children, if they're not with you, because it will use Bluetooth to work out when you take a photo, if you're together, then it won't auto put things in there. And I would imagine with screen grabs, that's probably defaulted not to auto go in the family album, but just go in the personal one. That's good. That's good. Okay. So, of course, and just to finish off the last few features, we already talked about the family photo sharing. We've got the redesigned lock screen. We've got unsend and edit messages. It's probably quite an important one that they added that I've almost forgotten that they added a bit already. You're back to 16.0 now, right? Yeah, I'm talking to 16.0 deliberately, just, just before we move on to, to, to media. And there's a few other bits and pieces, but they're the big ones. And, and you know, I think... Other than what we've discussed for 16.1, it's just for the iPad for you. So we get the various quality of life improvements that you're hoping for and we'll be there. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's going to be good. Good. Okay, Uh, moving on. Media. Um, You've written this first story in here, so I'll let you talk about that. Yeah, I'm just going to find a link. So apparently Inside Out 2, which is coming out in 2024, so a follow-up to the Pixar film that came out many years ago, and my children loved it. And so I'm quite excited that they're doing an Inside Out 2. I'm hoping it'll be up to Pixar's sta- Pixar standards. But yeah, just thought I'd mention it. I'm really excited by it. I love a Pixar film. I'm happy to wait two years as long as they get it right. I'd wait three or four if I had to. I was about to say Inside Out maybe one of the last gr- truly great Pixar movies because I haven't seen Lightyear. If somebody else has seen Lightyear and told me it was rotten, independent of you, I, you can shake your head, but they have. But I thought Inside Out was terrific. But then I remember they've done Soul since and Soul was absolutely wonderful as well. So I, I'm looking forward to Inside Out too as well. I really like Soul, but I watched it with my eight-year-old and he, I just don't think he got it. He just wasn't big on it at all, but I really enjoyed Soul. It was in the similar vein of Inside Out, I thought. No, I, my kids love Inside Out. I loved it. And you're possibly right. I like Lightyear, but look, let's face it, Lightyear has not done well. The numbers do speak for that, but I really enjoyed it. It was a good film for me and I'm going to happily watch it again. I am actually away tomorrow night, so maybe I'll download it to the hotel room on my on my lonesome tomorrow. Oh, that sounds very sad. But, you know, if it's a film you like and it brings you joy, why not? So I just, I've literally today just watched a film, Thor Love and Thunder, which is the next Thor film in the, in the Disney, the sorry, Marvel series in the MCU. It came out the other day. It's been in the cinema. It was a long time coming to streaming. It was a film that was very much panned when it was in the cinema. I didn't get to it. I think it's the first MCU film I haven't been to 
actually that I haven't been to in the cinema that I can think of, except The Eternals. I think The Eternals got a limited release in the UK that I didn't watch. I watched that in streaming as well. So it's a big one. I really like the last one. Thor Ragnarok was probably the best MCU film they've made. Same director, Taki Waititi, who's a bit of a genius. Great cast. Uh, like I say, underperformed at the box office. Was thought not thought to be not very good. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> it was really, really good. It was funny. The music's great. Large, lot, lot of Guns and Roses in there. If you like that kind of stuff, then then it's up there. Not taking itself too seriously. Lots of good nods to the comics, if you know anything about the comics. Really good film. About two hours well spent. Sounds like Thor is your equivalent of my light year. Maybe, maybe. I do like a Marvel film. And after our, a couple, our discussion a couple of weeks ago, why can't I have more films? I thought well, it's nice to watch a film and not a TV, a TV show. I do. I, I, I think I do need to catch up on the Marvel Universe. I started in whichever lockdown it was. I think I got halfway through, which was a good effort of starting with Iron Man and working my way through. But I think in the end, they just got so many characters and the universe just got bigger and bigger. And I was just, oh, I can't retain any more in my head. And then I think I bowed out for a bit. Fair enough. Moving swiftly on on that note is I've also continued to watch She-Hulk, which is a great TV show. I won't go into that at length, but it definitely helps if you've seen some of the other MCU films to make some sense of that. And again, just some good nods. They're quite good at in-universe stuff. Yeah, I would agree with that. From what I've seen, they're definitely good at meshing the worlds together and, and the overlap. So I think they, I do think they do that really well. Definitely. My last thing before we move out of media is that House of the Dragon is still on. Still quite enjoying that. Nice to see Matt Smith playing a bad guy. He does quite a good job of that. And yeah, it's 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 a good show. If you liked Game of Thrones, I think you've got you're you're gonna be transported to an age where Game of Thrones was actually good and not the disappointment it left us on. So other than that, I think that's us for media. Yeah, I, I will follow up on Full Mankind. I've nearly finished. I've just about to start the last episode of season three, and I must confess, they've done a crack cracking job. We've had a literal space race. We've had some last minute appearances by him by an unknown body you know a foreign country on mars brilliant just also well done fantastic loving it and all the storylines interleave with prior with prior seasons it's it's very well done yeah i'm so glad you're enjoying that it's 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 underrated i think for all mankind yeah i would agree with that i think it's underrated to be fair there's a lot of effort gone into it the storylines are great like i said and they link back to the previous seasons and it's only, it's only the third season it's great watching they should have spent some more money on the graphics, as I've previously said, but um, it's fantastic. Good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's it's a great show, and I've managed not to give you any spoilers for the last episode as well, so that's a bit of a win. Yeah, no, no. I'm going into it completely fresh. I know literally nothing. I will say I think For Mankind does live up to what Apple wanted to deliver when they first said, we want to tell great stories, and they, and they had all the directors and various actors come out on stage and talk about delivering a really good story. I think For Mankind's doing that, this alternative universe and it is telling a great story. I agree. It's a great show, and certainly in the top three of Apple TV Plus shows for me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Excellent. Okay, moving on. Games. Games. So I've just got two notes on games. One, Splatoon 3 is out on the Switch. I've not played it. I haven't had time. I think it came out on Friday. As I've said, it's been my son's birthday, but I'm, I'm planning to circle back and have a look at that. And I know my eight-year-old son is very much looking forward to it. He's never played Splatoon. He saw an advert for it, and he was like, I can shoot pain. It looks amazing. And so I'm saving it for a weekend where we haven't got much on and we can actually enjoy it because children do get a lot of stuff these days because they get all of my games. So we just had a birthday, you know, and you're always doing something. So it's nice for them, I think, just to get some treats further down the line before, you know, in between now and Christmas. No, I think that's good. And that sort of age group, when the, when it was reviewed, I can understand they might be harsh because it's adults that review games, not children. 
I think kids love Splatoon. It's and it's so non-violent compared to, you know, a lot of the first-person shooters and all the rest of it. It even if it has got bad reviews for adults, I'm sure you'll have a whale of a time. He'd it, be happy, and I'm sure I will enjoy it too. I had seen that another review that countered one that you'd sent me saying the inks run out for, for Splatoon. I did see one countering it, so I think I've just got to have a go and make my mind up. I've bought it, so I'm already <laughs> I've already paid the price of entry, so I will report back. So I, I also saw Nintendo are announcing a new Pokemon game. Silver, that's not silver and gold. It's ruby and something. I think is that something that's going to be of interest to you? Nope. I nope. know my kids; they don't seem to be into it. So I, I don't. It's just not something I understand. Sorry. Fair enough. I, I've never actually played a Pokemon game. I don't think. I know it was a big deal on the Game Boy back in the day, and then many many platforms since. But yeah. Snap, I, I think to be honest with you, something that would put me off those games, I just, I hear how many hours people sink into them and I just don't have that. I'd like to enjoy a game and I want generally a fairly short game if I'm going to actually complete it because I just haven't got those hours to give. You know, I've got a job and a family and you, you seem to fit more games in than I do, but you know, it's hard to do, isn't it? It's a commitment. It is hard to do it. And there's lots of other things, you know, like you say, there's a job, there's a family, there's, you know, the, the media to watch, the app, the programming to do, the, you know, all the, the podcast to prepare for, all the other bits and pieces that we do as part of that as well. So yeah, it's not surprising. My games this week, I did find 10 minutes to play a little bit of June Spice Wars on Steam, which I bought in early access. Not bad. Is that it? Well, I could give you more if you want. It's if you played the classic sort of June two back in the day, the Westwood game that was really sort of the the father or mother of of real time strategy. It and Command and Conquer were what sort of really pushed the the genre forward. There's there's hints to that. You can play as the Atreides. You can play as the Harkonnen. You can play as the Fremen. I've only played with the Atreides so far. What about Ordos? No Ordos. It was always about the Harkonnen, if I remember when you played, because I think they're like a better tank or something. They did have a big tank. I haven't got that far in it. It's a little more thoughtful, I would say, than Command and Conquer in the sense that the strategy side of it is more than just the tank rush, which is what which June 2 always turned into. The t- you know, either that or building little squares of concrete towards the, you know, the, the enemy base across the sand and then building a load of turrets near them, is my memory of playing June 2. It's, it is a lot more thoughtful, the sort of diplomacy in it. You need to work with the spacing guilds. You need to work with the Landsrad and all the other houses and things. You can get spies. It's a bit more it's a bit more of a civilization sort of element to it than just pure real-time strategy. Quite thoughtful. So Civ meets June 2 with but modern, I guess. Yeah. Is the, okay. Well, it sounds good, but that sounds like a game you're going to get into and sink some time into. Yeah, I'm a bit nervous about it. I sort of, I've, I've fired it up a few times. I probably spent about an hour on it today, and that's the most in one sitting. And it, it feels pretty deep. You know, it just keeps unveiling itself as a technology tree. You can expand things. There's, you know, depending on what all the various houses have different technologies as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be deeper than I've given it time for at the moment. I think. Sounds good though. Yeah, I'm quite impressed so far. And it's still early access. The game's still being finished. They still haven't sorted out the tutorial properly and all that kind of stuff to give you sort of proper feeling for it. But uh, yeah, good. Okay, well, keep us posted. I will. I will. And I think you got something with the post this week. Finally got something in the post. I was a bit worried when I saw it on my ring doorbell and it was just sat in the porch. And I thought, I hope it's going to be all right. You know, I get home from wherever I was and turn up and there's a small box on there to come from America, which was always a good sign because I don't order very much from abroad. And inside was a play date and the case for it. And what an amazing bit of kit. That's what I'm going to say. Like the hardware is stunning. The fit, the finish, the quality of the components, the texture of it, amazing piece of hardware, really well done. It's bright yellow. 
It's tiny. I mean, it's about half the size of your iPhone Pro Max. It's just got black and white screen, but very, very good black and white screen. And then it's, you know, it's got a hand crank on the side, which again is a lovely feel. AB buttons, you know, D-pad, and then like a menu button and then a, pa- a power button. And it, it's lovely. It's a lovely bit of kit. Really well made. The case is great. Just clips on the back and it just folds over to protect the screen and like i said it's black and white which is interesting and then it comes with a yellow usb-c cable which i thought that's a cool usb-c cable bright yellow i thought that can go in my bag and then annoyingly one end usb-c to charge the play date and the other end is usb-a i thought there was a massive thing to get rid of you know just to move to usb-c so i was wondering before we get into the rest of the the console this usb-c thing that the eu are bringing is it just to the hardware? What about the cables? Because if people in two years' time are still shipping USB-A at one end, because it's the same when you buy a DualSense controller and a PlayStation 5, it's got USB-A at one end. Why are we doing it? Like, if we're really going to embrace this connector, you need to do both ends of the cable, in my, in my opinion. And I was really annoyed because I thought it's a great yellow cable. Like, that looked great in my bag. You know, I can charge my iPad with it. Hopefully future iPhones in a few years' time. Oh, that'd be lovely and i won't lose it but there you go so i was a bit annoyed what do you think yeah that, i think that's a slightly tricky one isn't it i'm with you that most of my devices are usb-c at the end now certainly the macbook pro i'm talking to you on here now is usb-c my car my tesla has usb-c on, on one side of it you know so the, the proliferation of usb-c on that side of things are beginning to to appear i was a bit surprised with the ps5 as well that there were usb-a ports on the front why isn't there usb-c ports on the front it makes no sense to me there is one around the back i think yeah, it's around the back. And same when I bought my Kindle, my Paperwhite we spoke about, I think it was last week or the week before, it's got USB-C on the hardware, it's got USB-C to A cable again. And it was like, why well, have I got an A cable? Stop it. So does the EU law, is that going to fix this? Or do you uh, think we just naturally get there? I think we'll get there eventually. I think it reflects more what people have on their computers, that they have USB-A still on their computers. They haven't moved to USB-C largely. Certainly the gaming PC I built a couple of years ago, no USB-C on that. You know, it's got usb 3.1 A ports on there, but no USB-C. I'd need to buy another PCIe card you know, to do that or get some sort of breakout thing. So I think there's a big lag still between manufacturers putting USB-C at one side and then putting it on the other. And it's just the state of affairs. I'm looking around my office. I don't think I've got anything USB-A down here. Just I just don't do it. It's not me. I went USB-C years ago and I bought the right ends that I need and the cables. So I've got like a I don't know, what's it, USB-C to micro-USB so I can charge up non-Apple devices and stuff. But I just have USB-C, and when I go away, the plugs I take, all USB-C, So that I, and I've got all the cables for it, same for my Apple Watch, for my phone, you know. So I've, I've already moved, I'm just cheesed off that I'm getting brand new tech in this day, in 2022, that's still got USB-A at one end. Like I say, I think it reflects the market. Most people are using a sort of three- or four-year-old PC that's got USB-A slot on it. Or they've got a charging brick that they got with their Android phone, you know, five years ago that's got a USB eight on it. And that's the one they that, keep using. That, that's what it is. It's probably less about the computers, but more about those bricks that are out in the world. There's I don't know, I'd hate to think how many millions of those bricks exist. Anyway, back back to the play date then. So hardware it's stunning, really well made, packaging great, not a great first run experience. Turn the thing on and it had some very odd message about needing to be rebooted basically and i couldn't you know you could turn it off and didn't seem to do anything so i had to go and get a paper clip take the hand crank out and then inside the recess of where the hand crank lives is a small hole and you can jab it with a paper clip it does a harder reboot and then it was all fine which was great but not a great first run and i don't know if that's because it's been in a warehouse for a long time or, or whatever it may have been but then it's fine so turn it on 
have to join it to the Wi-Fi network. And the only thing I'd say on that is I've got a password. I don't know what it is for my Wi-Fi. So go and get that one password. Get it, on, you know, shown on, the, on my iPhone and manually type in. They should on the companion app. They, they write apps. Why isn't there an iPhone companion app for this thing to set it up, to transfer the games over, you know, to do the first run experience, get it on Wi-Fi. Maybe you can have an account where you sync your Wi-Fi in it, like Kindle do with Amazon. You can save Wi-Fi networks to your Amazon account. So I was a bit, a bit unsure about why they hadn't done a bit more there. And then that brought me on to the first season of games that came in. So I got it booted up, got it on the Wi-Fi, installed a system OS update, which was nice and quick, and it did it automatically, which is great. So I know I'm in all the latest. I've got two games to play that came with it. And I played them, and I was like, oh, it's a bit, bit of an anticlimax. They just weren't really sticky games, if you know what I mean. And I was just like, oh, a bit bored of that. And there's a surfing one, which I just found really hard. And I think the, the learning curve was too steep on it. So I then go off online, go and find a bunch of games. And I was like, oh, okay, I found some files you can go and download and put games on it. And I was like, well, how do I put games on this thing? So you log into your Playdate account on the Playdate website, and you can just drag the games into it, basically. And so, so they're all saved against your account, which is fantastic. And then you just go back on the play date, you push the download all new content button and it just downloads all the games. So they've done that bit really well, like side loading. You don't actually need to plug it in. You can literally just, you know, drag over the game file and it's just one file for each game and then push a sync button in essence on the console device. So I went and did that, found a whole bunch of games. And I bought a few, which is great, you know, support some local indie developers. And they were, and they were a lot more sticky. I'd call the games. They were easy to pick up and harder to master but you had levels building you know slowly getting harder you had like a guy on a unicycle you had to get into the coffee stall without him falling over and it was great because you use the hand crank to move along and you have to go gently and fast and, and keep the balance up so fantastic device there's some great games there but they just weren't in the first two they give you season one and then i think it's every week i get two more games into for 10 weeks and then i have all the games so the first two disappointing but i'm hoping there'll be some better ones in there but the, the indie scene does seem quite hot. I'm keen to have a go myself, but I'm annoyed because it doesn't seem like they support the iPad for developing, which I get it's a small platform, but like, why can't I just plug it on my iPad and have a go? And I'm hoping somebody will, will solve that problem for me at some point. I thought the web, the development store, there was like a web browser-based version of it. You could do drag and drop and stuff. And... That's if you want to do point-and-click adventures. Do a point-and-click adventure? Yeah, maybe. Maybe I should yeah, have a go. I just wanted to have a play with it, really, do a bit of coding and try and get back into a bit of coding, but just just for fun. Yeah, fair enough. No, that's, that's interesting. I just sort of, I, I want to back up a little bit. So you bought the standard play date for $179, the yellow one. No case? With the case. So to $199 for a nice yellow handheld with a beautiful purple case. That's that's what you've got in hand. That's what I've got. I should boil it down to the shed. Apologies. That's all right. And it says on the website in, in, in very bold text, includes one yellow USB-C to USB-A cable. So, you know, which I hate, <laughs> which is in the loft in the box because I never use uh, it. So, you've got a nice piece of hardware. The crank thing is interesting. It sort of looks in the pictures like it sort of where you can hold it in one hand fairly comfortably. Or is no, it it's tiny. It's tiny. It's tiny. Yeah, it's very easy. And it would be probably, I haven't shared it with my children yet because I thought, again, because we've had a lot going on, I thought I'd save it for a time when it. When we haven't got anything going on, they can really have a go on it. But it'd be great for them with smaller hands. I think it'd be, be ideal for them. The one thing about the hardware is you've got to sit in good light. There's there's no backlight. It needs some really good light because it's it's just not up to it otherwise. But fantastic. The quality is lovely. The OS seemed very good, very responsive. 
very simple how they've done the OS. You've got, here's all your games and here's a setting screen. And in the setting screen, there ain't much you can do. The only thing it doesn't have is Bluetooth. Hmm. So whether it's got it inside because it comes with the Wi-Fi chip for free, it is not enabled. And so you've got to use wired headphones. So I have to use my cable that goes from lightning to three and a half mil. That, that would be my, my second issue with it. USB-A and a wired headphone connector. God, it's living in the past. It is living in the past, but it is a black and white console in 2022. So, but fantastic. Enjoying it. And a load of the games I've bought are my kind of games where they're, you know, more like puzzle games. And that, that's what I quite enjoy, a puzzle game of whether it's moving tiles around or whatever it may be. And I'm quite enjoying those. So the surfing game, I'm just intrigued. You're a little bit younger than me, so you may not have played California games on the Commodore 64. No. That that had a surfing mini game in it, and the wave went along like this, and you went along, and you had to do tricks on the wave as it went along. And the, that's pretty much it. The critical thing was whatever angle you left the wave at to do a jump, you had to come back in at the same angle. That that might be it. I that, just I suspect there was no tutorial though. You literally straight into the game, and it was just like, well, what have I got to do? I, I suspect that might help you. Okay. So you know, if you if you if it's, uh, I guess it sort of cranks in like five degrees or ten degrees or something like that. So if you leave the wave at twenty degrees, you need to re-enter the wave at twenty degrees the other way. And I suspect you'll be alright. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe I'll give that a go again. But it, it was just, it just felt like a tough game for your first game, which is really what you want. A bit like Astro Lab or, or whatever it was called on the PS Five. Something really noddy that anybody could pick up and just play and get used to the hardware. They they needed something a bit more of a softer tutorial game. Yeah, I mean, if I contrast that to the Steam Deck, which obviously you, you know it's got a lot more space, it's a bigger it's a bigger thing. It does have a proper on-screen keyboard, so you can type in your Wi-Fi password, which which definitely helps. There is no companion app in that, but you know at least it's a decent keyboard you can dab away at and, and put in. The keyboard was interesting because you have to use the hand crank, so you've got columns of A to Z, one in lowercase, one in uppercase, and that was okay. It was quite nicely done, and it was quick to zip through it with the hand crank. But I was just surprised it wasn't a companion app. Yeah, most of their market is going to be iOS users, surely. I would have thought so. And I'll, I'll just throw in, you know, the sort of starter for 10 app on the Steam Deck was Aperture Desk Job, which was if you've played Portal or you've played any of those kinds of games, it's the Aperture Science Labs. And you're sitting at a desk and all the things on the desk are the buttons on the screen, all of the buttons are around the console. So it sort of runs you through. It's only a very short game. I finished it in about 12 minutes. But that's not the point of it. The point is to get put you back in that world and push all the buttons on the console and show you what's there, show you the haptics and all the rest of it. It's very different hardware. I mean, it sounds like once you go over your little first run thing, it's good. And more than that, you see the potential of all these other games in the indie market that are coming and have the hope that these seasons of games that they're going to give you, some of them will stick with you over time. So, I mean, it sounds like it's very optimistic to me. Yeah, and the game's good for me. There's short games. It's a focused device. There's no distractions. So I, th- I think it is good. I'm enjoying it. It is quite an expensive, frivolous purchase at 200 quid, as you've just pointed out. And the only other point was, I was like, well, where do I find games? You know, where do I find a site? It's a shame that panic the people that make the device don't have a catalogue. I said App Store, but really they just need a catalogue. Here's all games that we don't vouch for or sites that have got lists of games on. You know, they could just do with that sort of repository of, I've got the thing, now where do I go? I just think they're missing a little bit of a trick there. You know, something with the community. Not to take anything away from the community, but just to more guide people to the community, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And if you want the device to go to a version 2 or to get beyond the market for geeks of people like well, like you who like Panic Software and would trust what they did, you know, and transmit and all those things that we, you relied on and we relied on in the past, they've got a cachet with us. They don't have that with the wider 
games playing market, the wider casual gamer market. They don't have that, that kind of stuff. So to me, you need to get them out there. You need to see somebody on the tube holding one and playing it and say, what's that? Oh, what games is it? Oh, that's really cool. You know, that sort of zeitgeisty thing needs to happen as well as it just getting out there. I know they've had hardware problems getting them out there. But to become sticky in the market, that's the word you used a couple of times when you're talking about the games, people need to see them. People need to see they're cool and they'll need to see the odd familiar thing on there, be it the Tetris, be it the, I don't know, Monkey Island Adventure or whatever it is. I would love a Tetris on it. I bet you can find a Tetris for it. Yeah, well, I probably haven't looked hard enough. But I do like that you can load games onto it. You don't need any cables or anything like that. I think that is fantastic. And I would have been the only one last week on the train going to London playing on a play day, I think. But it's awesome. Such a good device. That's pretty cool. Okay, good. I think that'll do us for games. Yep, let's move on. Let's move on. So last week's show, we narrowly missed the, the Apple event, the Apple Faro event that happened on the Wednesday. So now we need to go through everything they announced and, and sort of have a bit of speculation that now the actual hardware is, we know what it is, even if we don't have it in our hands yet. Yeah, I agreed. I, th- I think it was, on the whole, I think it was a good event. It's a bit weird. They've invited loads of people to their theatre and they just watch a film and they, they've really stepped away from doing stuff in person other than welcoming them and allowing people after the film to have hands-on I thought it was good. I thought it was a good event. Cracking products released, and I think they've met most people's expectations. What do you think? Yeah, I think we said towards the tail end of last week's show that we know we're going to get an iPhone and we know we're going to get an Apple Watch. So getting those things announced, it wasn't surprising. I think when we get to them, we'll talk about the evolution of those devices rather than the revolution. That's not a surprise. They're both mature products at this stage. The AirPods Max, so Apple announced new iPhones. They announced new watches not just a watch and they announced airpods and that that was it i thought it was a good event it felt a bit long in places to me it felt a bit baggy actually there were some very cool videos like the apple watch one of the apple watch videos was particularly cool i think they did a really good job of showing the product i was bored by the time they announced the iphone pro max and the iphone pros together actually that they reiterated a lot of the points that we'd seen in the iPhone 14, the bog standard model. And that it was boring. I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't a boring event. There were some very high points in it and things of interest that they talked about in a good level of detail. But considering they didn't do the, and here's a game developer, and here's an app developer, and here's this, and here's that, that they would have done. And here's our, thank you, our customer sat is off the charts kinds of things that they used to do back in the past. It felt baggy to me a little bit. It definitely could have been a bit tighter, I think, in places, because... Some and it was a bit like that with WWDC in the summer. They announce a feature on one device and then it's on all, all three or four devices. And you had that with a few of the features they brought to the watch, which they demoed first. And there's like that then was then on the iPhone. I kind of agree with you. They went into a lot of detail on some things and barely touched on others. But they could have definitely just done a little bit of editing. You could have already done all that within an hour. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, let's not be baggy ourselves. I think we can get through these fairly quickly. So We'll do this, we'll do the watch, then we'll do the AirPods, and then we'll talk about the iPhones because they've probably got the most to talk about within them. Apple Watch Series 8 then, they announced that. It has a new temperature sensor. I'm not going to call it a thermometer. It has a temperature sensor in it. Yeah, so they spent quite a bit of time and they very much said this is basically for women to use to see if they're ovulating and what have you. And and it just seemed very much aimed at that. I was expecting more of a general temperature sensor so that anybody could use it to take their temperature or to get an indication but it was interesting they very much said no it's just for this one purpose don't get me wrong i quite like that i think a lot of tech is aimed at men because men tend to be early, you know for whatever reason you'll you, men tend to be perceived as mo- being more geeky it doesn't mean women can't be just as geeky as men but i think a lot of things come along with that in mind and having something for female health which is so important i would have thought to, to so many people 
that it's it's not a bad thing. I'm slightly cynical about, we've talked about this before, it's on your wrist. You're not going to get an accurate temperature sense on your wrist. And the way they put it out there, which I think was 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 plausible, you know, you need to wear this all night. This, the, the frequency at which it takes your temperature will change at night. We'll do it every, I think they said every five or ten seconds that they were going to do it. And they'll get a better overall opinion of your sleeping temperature when your body's more at rest. I did quite like the fact that they've got a temperature sensor on the next to your skin and on the top of the watch so you can see there's a difference between the room temperature and the, you know is it that that's affecting your temperature or are you actually warmer i don't think the fda or the mhra here in the uk would allow them to call this a thermometer that you know takes a core temperature that you could work off so it's quite good that they can pitch it this way for female reproductive health i think it's a bit of a win for for, for that kind of thing and that's why i'm not calling it a thermometer is, is sort of my take on it yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Maybe this is the start of going towards that. And maybe this is the version one and they build upon this and maybe they can get towards a, some form of temperature sensor down the line. Or maybe they can't. Maybe they just can't make it work. And this is the best they managed to do with it because this has been rumoured for years. And maybe they've had years worth of work on this and this is where it's led. And they can't quite do what they want with it. No, I think I think you're right. I mean, it's I think it's a good feature. They've positioned it well. It's aimed at, at women, and that's that. And I think it's great. I mean, what got me with the update once they ran through it, and I was like, kind of wish I bought that Series Seven last week because I was like, it's just nothing in there for me. It's basically a Series Seven. It's got that in it, and then there's um, two other things that I picked up on. One was the crash detection piece that they're now doing. So, if you wear this and you're in a car and the car has an accident it will fire up the SOS piece automatically for you. And some cars do have that built in. I know mine, mine's got an SOS button. I don't know what I need to do, whether I need to activate it. It's, just, it's probably something you find out at the wrong time. And I thought that was great that they've got features like that. But if I remember, do correct me if I'm wrong, but that's coming to all Apple Watches, isn't it? I think so. There was there was a little bit of talk, if I remember correctly, about improved gyroscopes and improved audio and things like that in, in, as sensors. But that's obviously in the silicon for, for what is in the Apple Watch Series 8. So you're kind of getting that across all the devices they announced, you know, improved gyroscopes and positioning and all that kind of stuff too. So yeah, you're getting a lot of the features in a software update. So one of the other things they talked about later in the presentation was the the backtracking. So if you were using the watch for GPS and you could sort of you wander around and you got lost in the forest, it would present a screen that would sort of put waypoints to guide you back to where you started. And that's coming to all the watches as well. So it, it's kind of a, eh, mm, you know. Which, which is an, an Apple move, I think, in that they actually brought, they brought all the Nike watch faces to all Apple watches. There's a new Compass app, which is what you were just talking about with the backtracking in it to all apple watches and it's rare that they actually talk about new features on stage and they brought them to the back catalog which i think is good in a way but it makes it less inspiring for me to upgrade like i said i wanted to get i was going to buy a series 8 i thought great i'll buy a series 8 when it comes out i'll wait a week and then after i watched the series 8 intro i was like i should have bought the series 7 from last week which was a great price you know for a stainless steel one and then looking at the prices the stainless steel series 7 it was about 700 pounds i think to purchase whereas last week it was i think you get it for about 500 pounds so it was a good good saving and then the series 8 stainless steel in the uk is 779 pounds to buy for the 45 mil one which is a lot of money but i fancied i wanted a nicer watch i wanted something a bit different and you know what it's like for a few years you'll buy an iphone of the same size and shape and you're like, actually do you know what just to liven it up a little bit, I'll buy a different one and I'll get a smaller one or I'll get one in a different material. And I was kind of like that with the watch. So I kind of left, I think, the eight going, not sure I'm going to buy it. 
Yeah, as a Series 7 owner, I saw nothing in the Series 8 that made me think I want that. Because the one thing that, if it hadn't backported it to the Series 7, is the reduced power mode, which isn't at the off, just show the clock mode that, that, that it has now. You, you can flick a button and it does, I don't know, get less notifications. There's something around that that works differently, where you can sort of almost double your battery life. So, But then that's coming to the Series 7, so why would I upgrade to a Series 8 just for that? Yeah, I think if you're on a seven, there's no need to upgrade. The only thing I, I do want the bigger screen. So if I've got the the one without the keyboard on it. I wouldn't mind to go to the series seven or eight screen. But now on the whole, it looked looked good. Well, let's move on to the next watch. I think we should do the Apple Watch SE. Actually, is what yep. we should do. So the Apple Watch SE, which I was initially quite excited about, because the last Apple Watch SE was rubbish and nobody should have bought it. Frankly, agreed. This one, which is based on the series four. I think, but has the Series 8 silicon in it. So it's got the latest processor, it's got all the sensors, no, it's got some of the sensors for car crash detection and things that we've talked about already. Doesn't have an always-on screen, doesn't have the pulse ox sensor, don't think it has the, thermo the, the temperature sensor. So it's got heart rate, but not ECG, so it will give you a high heart rate warning or a low heart rate warning, but won't be able to test for AFib or any of those things. So it's got the cut rate, heart rate stuff. It doesn't have this the oxygen saturation. It doesn't have the temperature sensor. Yeah, it's got a better screen. Yeah, it's a better price. But I, I wonder for the savings you're going to make for an Apple Watch AC, if you're not just better going for the cheapest model of Apple Watch Series 8 or a reduced Series 7 and getting, you know, those important features that I'd say were part of it. Yeah, I think you're right there. I don't know. I do think the SE is good and it's based upon the Series 6 predominantly, but it doesn't have the always on screen, which... I think it's a bit odd that they've left that off because surely that's quite iconic and could be used massively as a real good brand driver. But I think on the whole, the SE at 200 and what's it, is it 59 pounds or 69 pounds? It's really good, good value for money. So I, I would recommend it to most people. If you just want to spend a few hundred pounds and dip your toe in the water and see is an Apple watch for you, you can probably do that and sell it on if you didn't use it for really very little loss. But I think it's a great device. I, I think they've got it right. This is the SE they should have released a few years ago. And actually, they released a bit of a damp squib. Yeah, I agree. The last Apple Watch SE, you shouldn't have bought, shouldn't have bought the Series 3 either. And, you know, they needed to improve it. And as a gateway device to other Apple Watches, it's probably fine. Um, yeah, it's £259 for that device. Which is amazing. For what you get, that gets you in the door. You get a lot of device for that. Yeah, I'm not arguing, unless I would have said you can find a Series 7 for a cheaper amount. So I kind of see what you're saying. The Apple Watch Series 8 in the smaller size starts at £419. So that is quite a difference between them. And I think that's why I think the SE, they've got it right. They've hit a good price point. It's more than what the Series 3 was at 199 or, or or around that mark. So it's slightly more, but I think they've they've got the balance right of price functionality you know 250 quid yeah it's that's pretty good really good and a 45 millimeter series 8 is 449 quid so that's quite a jump up in price isn't it yeah definitely anyway se not bad much better than was a tolerable device to buy now i still want something with an always on screen having had it now but i think it's good and you know good start to the apple watch brand Moving on, the surpri slight surprise of announcement of the Apple Watch Ultra. I think what's more surprising about it is the price than the device itself. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So they went through the Apple Watches, and I think we kind of got to this point in the presentation. It was like, eh, Series 8 is all right, but 
I'd be happy with last year's model. SE is done what it needs to do, tick. And then we all, I think we all knew something else was coming, but we didn't know what. And actually, I think what they've done here is bring out something which is quite impressive for me, I think. So they brought, they announced, right, we've got a new Apple Watch. We've aimed it at a very specific extreme sports market of runners, trailblazers, hikers, you know, deep sea divers. And we're calling it the Apple Watch Ultra, which is kind of a cool name. I do look, I quite like the name. I know they've used Ultra with some of their chips in their Macs. So I thought it was quite cool. And there's just one size and a different set of bands, depending on what you do, whether you swim or run. It's got a bigger screen, so it's got a 49 mil screen. So what's that? Four mil bigger than the existing screen. It's got what looks like a massive battery. It looks quite chunky and it's very distinctive. So it hasn't got the the beveled edges that we've got now. Whereas on the side of our watches, they slope down. It's got a very flat screen on it. And then it's got an action button on the left side, which different apps can take advantage of. And then on the right side, it's got the same crown and the same, I don't know what you call it, side button. But it's got a crown guard around it so you don't accidentally catch it. And it just looks, the whole thing just looks very chunky. It's very Garmin inspired, I say. It's quite a chunky looking watch. Very much designed for adventurers. And then they do like that it's got international orange on it. So the action button's in international orange. And the line around the crown is also in international orange. And it only comes in cellular, so you can't get it non-cellular. It's just Wi-Fi only. So they're, they're aiming at the top tier of the market. But they used to do this before with the titanium Apple Watch that you could get on the Series 7. You could buy a titanium watch all the stainless ones, and they were all cellular only. So I'm not surprised they've done it. And this is just, I think, replaced the Titanium Series 7 in essence. And actually, they've released it at a similar price, which kind of blew my mind because I think we were both watching this going, oh, that's a thousand pounds right there. What did you think? Yeah, I think it's an interesting device. I mean, I, I am going to put in the show notes about International Orange because I'd never heard of International Orange before they said things came in International Orange on this, and they said it a couple of times. Used, primarily used by the aerospace industry to make things obvious to see. If you saw some of like the pilot suits and the Apollo things were, were often in this International Orange colour, so it's quite distinctive. The action button for such a chunky watch, and I think my comment to you when we were watching it was it was chunky. You know, it was obviously very big on the wrist when, when they were watching it. It's significantly larger off your wrist it stands off your wrist a lot further but i don't think that's unusual in this sort of ultra action watch variant and the thing i like about the apple watch ultra is that it knows what it is i think the original apple watch didn't know what it was it was trying to be a communicator it was trying to be a way to text your friends it did a little bit of fitness tracking but not a lot whereas as the apple watch has evolved over time it's got to the point where it is it's, an, it's a device for fitness. It's a device for tracking yourself. And if you are an ultramarathon runner or you are a diver or you are a mountaineer, which are the three sort of ultra sports types people that they showed and the, the bands that you can get with it sort of reference that, you want battery life. You want reliability. You don't want to smash your watch on the side of the mountain or on the boat as you're getting out of that kind of stuff. So having it chunkier and looking like those more serious sort of Garmin Phoenix devices and things like that, I think is a good thing. Um, the action button is just makes sense you, you haven't been able to control an apple watch we're, we're using the buttons there tapping the crown or turning it you can move things up and down but as soon as you touch that button you're into apple's control method you can't trigger events using one of the buttons on the side of it and if you're in a situation where you've got gloves on you know when you're diving when you're climbing a mountain or probably when you're running across the sahara i don't know you want the ability to start your lap timer to trigger a waypoint to do something whatever that is the app's letting you to do so i think it's about time they gave control for that and it makes sense to have buttons on it and yeah i think 
it seems cheap, <laughs> 850 quid, which surprised me. It's not cheap. It's ridiculous that it's not cheap. But if we're saying a bog standard Series 8 Apple Watch is half the price of that, it gets a third of the battery. It doesn't have the action button. It doesn't have cellular. It doesn't have the upgraded components on it to stand it. I think this is quite an interesting aspirational device. I bet you're not going to have ultramarathon runners buying a lot of these, but I bet you have normal Apple Watch buyers going, yep, actually, I totally see the point of this device. So I watched the whole thing through. And at the, before this piece came on, I was a bit disappointed. And then when I saw this, I thought, oh, it's going to be really expensive. And then when they announced the price, I was like, oh, it's just not a bad price. Because based on the Series 7 pricing that I was looking to purchase, I was going to spend sort of seven to 800 pounds on a titanium Series 7. So when I saw this was only 850 pounds, I was like, actually, it's only 70 pounds more than what I was had in my head. And you get a lot more watch for it. Now, is it going to be too big and too chunky? But actually, I think it's quite, it seems quite a good deal on the face of it. So I must confess, I've ordered one and I'm going to try it out. And I only ordered one because they do a great returns policy. So if it's not for me, I'll just return it to Apple. And I know I know I'm safe to do it. So I've ordered it as a bit of a punt. And I may get and go, no, this is just not, not the right to me. So I quickly measured my wrist whilst the keynote was on because I just got home. And so you have to pick whether you want a small, medium or large band. And so I went for a medium one because I, I don't actually have very big wrists, but I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I was keen watching some of the hands-on videos just to see how chunky does it look. But it's quite hard to gauge, I think, try and work out how big something is in somebody's hands. So I did go for it just because I think, actually, I'm not a deep sea diver. I'm not an ultra marathon runner, but I like tech. And that's a lot of tech for not a crazy price for Apple, to be fair. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I kind of wanted it. So, uh, as I say, Apple showed the ultramarathon runner, somebody running across the Sahara, a mountaineer. It looked like something, you know, the, the references were to base camp and everybody has base camp in their contacts. They don't have their brother, you know, their mate Larry, who's back at base camp. They've got base camp itself, I'm sure, when they're climbing Everest or K2. And they pitched it as having the battery to do that. I think they were saying sort of 60 plus hours of battery in some cases for, you know, being out and about with it. And then the third one is diving. So, I don't dive anymore, but I used to do a lot. I used to be a diving instructor back in the day. So I, I can comment on diving, you know, to a certain degree. And I've put in our, a link to you, Chris, my first dive computer, which was called the Sunto Solution, which would have been in 1990, let's say four. Yeah, about 1994, I think, which was a huge device that had to set outside a dry suit. It was, it was sort of half the size of my hand, effectively, which had three buttons on it. You set it to dive before you went in the water. It's got three contacts on the face of it. You needed to wet your fingers and touch the contacts to make the contact to sort of go through the various modes for it to do what it was doing. But basically, you jumped in the water and it gave you the depth you were at, how long you'd been there, and it could work out decompression stops. So decompression stops in your diving, your tissues take on gas at different speeds. The longer you're under there, your brain will absorb very quickly, your lungs absorb at a different speed, your liver absorbs at a different speed. So the algorithms behind all this are quite carefully set up for as you start coming back up in the water and the, and the gas starts coming back out of solution, you don't want it to fizz, which is what the bends are effectively. So you come up at a certain speed, you need to account for the slowest tissue. Bone, for example, absorbs very, very slowly and then gives it off very, very slowly. So the models are quite careful. So you get in it. What's really important with a dive computer is how deep you are, how long you've been there and how long it's going to take you to get back up. This watch does all that. So I think my dive computer was have been seven or eight hundred pounds back in the day. This is the same sort of price for a watch that you can wear every day and it will do many of the functions that a dive computer does. Now, 
they pitched this as Oceanic, the company, would have some app that sat on top of it. But I think even the Apple Watch in its basic sense does give you the depth sensor on it, and then you can get this app on top of it. They didn't go into details whether this would be a, a subscription thing or all the rest of it, but I think it's quite interesting. You can go buy a consumer device for this kind of money that has that sort of technology built into it. And in the video, this is what they were showing. They were showing divers clicking the action button underwater. They had waypoints, they had ascent alarms, they had the Bullman model of decompression for gases and things like that. So yeah, it looks like it can do an awful lot for a consumer device. So it's got to be up to 40 meters, they said which is fine on air diving, I'd say. 40 meters is fairly safe on air diving. I would suspect that modern dive computers are actually also connected to the, the, the cylinders on your back. So it can actually calculate how fast you're breathing and how much gas, because it's not always air people dive on these days, you have left. But I think for something you can wear on your wrist, you know, when you get out of the water, you can put it back on your wrist. It can tell you how long you've got to you safe to fly or something based on the last dive you did. I thought it was really impressive piece of technology. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I think the amount of stuff they've packed into it, the price point they've hit, I wonder if they're going for a low price point to try and get, you know, a bit of market, you know, because they, they are a challenger to your Garmin. And then, yeah, will the price go up over time? But when you and I messaged during the event and said it's going to be 999 at least, and then it came in at 850, I was, I think at that point I was like, done. It's worth a go for me because I want, I was in the market to buy a watch. I've saved up for one. I was just going to get a regular series seven or eight. And I just thought, you know what, I'll go for it because I want something that looks a bit different. You know, you get, I think as I said to you earlier, sometimes you want to try a different size phone just to, you know, have something different for a year or two. And so that's why I've gone for it. I'm interested to see it. I'm not going to be running any marathons. I will wear it all the time. And I, that is one thing I don't mind spending money on it because I know I will wear it and use it. It's not like it's your first Apple Watch, which is why I was saying to you, the SE is probably good for people they've never had one because you, you you don't know if you're going to wear it or get the use out of it so why not take a punt on something that's a lot cheaper and then if you don't use it that much you haven't wasted a heap of money yeah to have the cellular built in is, is, is a big deal as well i mean I, I don't think the the activation of the cellular stuff's as good in the uk as i've had in america with the way that you compare it to thing certainly my carrier which isn't vodafone but it's one of vodafone's brands voxy don't support apple watches we'll get onto them not supporting e-sims later on as well but that kind of thing, having it all built into the one device, it would be great if that worked better. I could see myself leaving the house without my phone, you know, to go for a walk with my AirPods on, you know, and it would be able to sync and stream over my watch. I think that would be great, having all the battery, knowing you know, it's going to work. The, the, the possibility of going off on a trip to, you know, a business trip overnight and not having to take a watch charger, even that is almost worth it because my watch is glued to my wrist. I take it off to charge it, I put it back on, I take it off to be in the shower, I put it back on. You know, I swim with it, I run with it. Well, I don't run with it, but I do long walks with it. I do all that kind of stuff. I've tried to run with it and it works all right. It's a good device. I know I like it. I don't want to change it every year. I want to change it every two years, I think, because they managed to sell me on some of the bit of tech that's good for it, like an improved battery. And I think this is in the sweet spot. I'm I don't, I'm swithering whether I'll buy an Ultra this year, but so I'm curious in your feedback. Yeah, so I literally ordered it as soon as the event was over. So I've got day one delivery, which I think is a week Friday. So a week after the iPhones come out. So September the 23rd. I'm really looking forward to it. I, yeah, I'm in, interested to see it, but I am half expect, I'm kind of 50-50 on whether it's going to stay, I think, because is it just going to be too chunky for me? And I, I don't know. And I haven't really, I'm not near an Apple store. I think maybe if I live close, I'd probably nip into an Apple store, but I'm not. So I've gone for it. I'm going to be unusual at this point and controversial and say, I think this was the most exciting thing they announced in the event. No, I think I'm with you. I think I'm more excited about this because it's different. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's a break from the norm. It's 
it's got a different look and feel. They're pushing the Apple Watch on. And you can see next year, they're going to announce an update to the series. Well, it'll be the Series 9. It will have a side button, you know, an action button. It will probably look a little different. They need to do something, I think, to liven up the watch. You know, you're on the eighth version now and it still looks the same. And I think that's a good look, but I think they need to move on, even if it's just a subtle... I was, you know, I the edges because I was quite looking forward to a flat design one coming out. That, you know, I assumed they were going to do that because I got rumoured last year. So, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's exciting. It's different. It looks a great product. Great. Good. Okay. We've spent far longer talking about watches than I thought we'd. Let's move on. AirPods Pro 2. I think we can do this quite quickly. So, AirPod Pro, AirPods Pro 2. The big news was improved active noise cancellation. They're going to be 20 or 30% better than the ones before were. They're going to be louder. They're going to sound better. They look the same. The case will now charge off uh, an apple watch charging puck which i thought was a good evolution that that is genius like that is genius <laughs> momentarily back to apple watch the one thing i had hoped that they were going to allow you to charge your apple watch off a magsafe because i've got a load of magsafe chargers and i i can charge my airpods on it on my phone if you could do my apple watch that would negate me needing usb-c because that's how I charge all my devices. So to see them then make the AirPods work off the Apple Watch piece, I can see why they've done it. But And the AirPods are interesting because you can do MagSafe, Apple Watch Charger, and Lightning. You can do three ways of charging it, which is an interesting ploy. Yeah, it's good. I like the look of these. I'm, I'm, I am thinking that I might order myself a pair. I, I'd like the improved noise cancellation. They've put more tips in the box this time. So if you've got very small or very big ears this time, they'll, they'll fit in your ears a lot better. So that sort of fit and finish that, you know, they, they do test for the seal when you've put them on for the first time, combined with the LiDAR scan your ears thing that you talked about that we'll have to try. Good product. The fact that Find My is now built into the case and, and into each individual AirPod as well, I think is a good move. The fact you'll be able to find them more precisely. A little speaker so that you can actually find the case and not just the AirPods when you drop them in the snow as I've talked about in this show before. Solid update. Not much more expensive. £10 more in the UK, I think, than they were previously. I don't I think it's the same price, £250. Same price. Um, and it's got better battery. I don't know if you mentioned that. But I think it's a solid update. And you know what? This came straight after the Apple Watch Ultra, which I agree with you, I think was the star of the show. Great follow-on product. It would be nice to have something they, they've made it work with Apple's lossless music, but they haven't, for whatever reason. It's a great update. I'm amazed it's taken them two years to get this out the door for what seems like a very evolutionary step up but cracking update you know like you i'm interested i haven't ordered any but you know what i thought that'd be a great christmas present if my wife and kids want to get me something this year because that's something they know i would use all the time so yeah i've got my eye on one and i'm possibly black friday you know you often, you often get those on amazon and it's not they're not gonna be counterfeit so i'm i'm, I'm interested yeah. to see if they hit sweet spot because airpods pro in the UK, you can get them for about 180 give or take. That's a great set of headphones for that sort of money. Yeah, they are. I, I know they don't suit everybody. I know some people, runners, for example, still like the wired ones, which is why Beats still make a wired model. I think that's wired across the back of the neck, so you can take them out and drop them. It doesn't work for me that. I find the AirPods Pro and the AirPods before them stay in my ears well enough. The only other change that's probably worth talking about with these is that the stocks of the AirPods, as well as being able to double double squeeze the stocks to advance on, now have volume control built into them as well. So the capacitive on the side, you can swipe up and down to change your volume, which I know a lot of people were asking for. It didn't bother me particularly. I always change the volume on my phone, but I can understand if you're running, you don't want to get your phone out of one of those holsters you've got in your arm or something like that. You can change your volume. Good idea. I think it's a good idea because I wear my, my AirPods Max and my AirPods Pro 
and I get used to it on my Mac, so I can just change change the volume a little bit. I'm, I'm curious to see how it's going to work. I'm definitely going to get getting a pack because I wear my Pros all the time, but the battery's holding out, so I'm going to just wait a little bit longer, I think. Fair enough. Good. Okay, moving on to the star of the show, I'm, I'm sure, as, Apple, as far as Apple was concerned, the iPhone 14. So the iPhone 14 is an interesting product in that, as rumoured, it's holding on to last year's A15 chip, not moving on to the A16 chip. It's They've dropped the iPhone mini. The, you now get an iPhone, and I'll, I need to get the, t- the nomenclature right. It's an iPhone 14 and an iPhone 14 Max. No. No. iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Plus. Plus, they changed it away from the Max. Yeah, you're quite right. Sorry. So that's a 6.1-inch screen, which is the standard one, and a 6.7-inch screen, which is the bigger one, the Plus. And... That was really a bit externally. The cameras are a tiny bit bigger. They use the same camera chip as the Pro models did last year, the same sensor as the Pro models. So the two-lensed version of the iPhone 14 and the iPhone 14 Plus, good camera system. They spent a little bit of time talking about software that was involved with that, and I've forgotten the name of the engine. Photomatic? Photonic. Photonic. Photonic, thank you. No, thank you for getting the starter between us. We should know we should know these things, which just incorporates a bunch of software as far as I can see. You get slightly better lenses. You can do things like the reduction of fuzz that you'd get on people's jumpers and stuff like that, which is one of the most... Other than that, not a huge amount to be said, I didn't think. Screens are a little bit brighter. Batteries are a little bit better. All the usual things that they put into these things. That's Yeah, so I was talking to my wife about it. She was like, oh, you're going to get a new iPhone. I was like, yes. And she was like, well, what about me? And I was like, actually, do you know what? I'm not sure this is the year, you know, if you can muddle on a bit longer, I would, because you've got the same screen, you've got very similar look and feel, you've got slightly better rear cameras, like you say, they call it the advanced dual system in the 14, whereas the previous year was just dual camera system and you get autofocus on the front camera. But other than that, I just don't think there's much, much in it, if you know what I mean, it's a bit... I can see why they've done it this year and they have to have that year where they reset because what they've done is made a bigger gap between the pro and the non-pro. And so you've got to have that year to do it. Whereas I think in previous years, the gap between the pro and the non-pro has been a lot smaller. The chips have been the same, screens have been the same. And I think they've had to have that break this year because then next year they've set themselves up then and the the regular phone will will be better next year because it, it will move on in chip each year. So it's kind of had a bit of a pause year, I'd suggest. Yeah, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I note that they have Apple have said it's one hour additional battery life on these phones, so that's presumably a saving somehow. I guess it's a slightly bigger battery or slightly better cells in it. If it's using the same chip that was in last year's model, you'd think, why, why would that be a difference? Maybe it's just software optimizations. So that's interesting. It's interesting also that they haven't gone for the latest Wi-Fi 6E standard in them. They still only hold have Wi-Fi 6. So if you've got super up-to-date airports in your house, it's, it's not going to work with those in the fastest standard, but I guess not a lot of people have them yet anyway, so that's not the end of the world. And then the other thing, hardware-wise, for Americans at least, is that there is no physical SIM card tray in them. Well, I think there's two things for Americans, isn't there? There's no SIM card tray, which is bold, very bold. But actually, part of me was thinking, do you know what? I might move over to eSIM now. It seems like this is where we're going. Be interesting to give it a go. I've had it in my Apple Watch for years, and it's worked fine. And I have upgraded from a four to a six a few years ago and, and that was a non-event so i'm quite interested to see and have a go at that and see how that's going to work because I, I think it's been quite easy to migrate the eSIM in your apple watch but i think if they're going to force the market they need to do it and this is how you're going to do it isn't it i think because we've held onto sim cards for too long but did you notice actually you can do dual eSIMs and things now whereas i think before you had one sim and an eSIM whereas now they're moving that 
actually eSIMs come on. I think it's I think it's the right thing to do. eSIMs have been out there for such a long time. Let's get away from SIM trays. And it's another way you can get water into your device, isn't it? It is. So American is the only America is the only market where this is happening. If you buy one in Canada, you'll get one with a SIM card tray. If you buy one in the EU or the, or the UK, you'll get one with a SIM card tray. If you buy one in China, you'll get one with two SIM card trays. No eSIMs. So there are three different SKUs of this phone. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's, it's all very, a nightmare. Yeah, it's all very well pushing the market on in America where they think they've got, you know, sufficient deals with the carriers to do it. And but, you know, people could buy a, ch- a phone in America, go to Canada and be knackered because they don't support eSIMs and all the carriers there. How's that going to work? Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't know. Is it, it, yeah, no, you raise, you raise a fair point, and I don't know. The reason I'm, I'm keen, I think I'm bullish on eSIMs, is because I want to have them for all our work phones so people can't take the SIM card out and move it around, and then you can lock the phone number to the serial number of the device. And then if they need to swap either, you've got control over it. And that's more just with my corporate IT manager's hat. Personally, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with that. I don't think I've taken the SIM card out of my iPhone since I got it two years ago. I have. I, 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 I don't. I don't travel. I have, and I've changed. It's not so much that for me. It's the the, the carriers I've moved to because I've moved off the big brands. You know, don't support eSIMs, and even three in the UK, which is one of the bigger brands, don't support eSIMs. So if you're a three user, you can't. We are guessing them in the UK, just to be clear. iPhone 14 in the UK will have a SIM card tray, but as you say, if they're trying to push the market on, great. I did go and look at Vodafone eSIM page for this, and it was very straightforward. Tell us this, here's a QR code, scan it, boom, and you're going to be up and running with it. And that that's, of course, the dream that you can do it. I slightly worry about phones getting locked to carriers as well. I always buy my phones unlocked so I can do these pay-as-you-go, pay-month-by-month things rather than go for an ongoing contract. I don't want an ongoing contract. They're far too expensive for what you can get on the pay-as-you-go market or the pay-month-by-month market, which is why I'm, for example, the Voxy contract I'm with at the moment is £10 a month for 30 gigs of data, which is enough. You know, it lets me tether my phone. I can, you know, I've got, I forget what it is. A hundred minutes of calling. I don't speak to people on the phone. You know, I, I use data or I use FaceTime or I use Zoom or I use something like that. All I care about is data. And for two pounds a day, I had European roaming when I was away. So why would I want to give Vodafone whatever it is their normal monthly contract is? It, the, these MVNOs, the, the virtual network operators, offer far better deals in the UK, and I'm sure that's true all around the world than the main carriers. That's why they're all owned by the main carriers as subsidiaries. So, But none that I can see of the MVNOs offer eSIMs, and there they've got a mountain to climb. Yeah, I don't disagree. I guess I'm quite naive. I'm with one of the largest ones in the UK. I don't go on holiday very often, so it's been a largely a non-event for me, I guess. It's a thought, and you think, all right, as as you know, a corporate buyer of these things, or or you know, your long-time historical user, or you just don't don't know any better, which is often the case with lots of people who've got phones that they don't they're not shopping around for the biggest deal all the time. But you'll find this very soon with your kids when they're demanding to phone contracts. You don't want to spend a lot of money on them, and you want to get the most value you can. And that's where this started with me. That I went to look at Gifgaf, and I went to look at Smarty, and I went to look at Voxy, and all these things that support the networks they're interested in, and give them a lot of data. Because when you're scrolling Snapchat all day or instagram all day that's all you want yeah they're gonna want day though i get it and i've got all that to come in the very near future i'm sure maybe it will spur them on maybe in six months time we'll be having this conversation we'll be going look at all the mvnos that are offering e-sims and i'll have quite happily moved over and i'll be loving the e-sim lifestyle but i've never had one on any device i've had at this point because even though i had apple watch with cellular three didn't support apple watch cellular because they didn't support e-sims so I, i've never had the joy 
Yeah, I, I think this will force the hand because clearly the writing's going to be on the wall. This is going to expand. So I think they've been bold to go with America first, but fair play to them. We shall see. So the last feature that they talked about in, in terms of the iPhone 14 was satellite communication. And this is really clever, actually. So what they mean by satellite communication is it's emergency satellite communication for when you're completely off grid and you have a car crash or you break your leg or something's going on and you've got no contact. Built into the standard phone without having to raise any antennas or do anything crazy, you can make an emergency satellite call. You point your phone roughly at the satellite. There's a UI for that to give you an idea where it is. And then you can send and receive texts and potentially calls as well. Only on the emergency network. You Again, you can't scroll Instagram with it. But it's going to get you when you're off grid. Potentially, if you've been up on, you know, in the mountains somewhere in America, because this is America only. If you've been up in the mountains somewhere in America and you're off the grid and you have a crash, the chances are you're going to be able to get in touch with emergency services. And I think that's amazing. Agreed. And this is something that Apple's done. It's been rumored for a couple of years because I think they bought a company and they've trained staff to man the, you know, to to be on the end of the phone. I think it's brilliant. It's it's a great ad that only apple would do i think and i think this year is interesting because the phones have got crash detection as well like the watches they've done crash detection they've done this emergency piece they've also got full detection in their apple watches from previous years they're doing a lot around how can we help you how can we save a life and i think it's fantastic and they did have a segment actually in the show of people detailing how the apple watch had saved their life and i can see you getting that in a few years time you know, I had a car crash, the phone automatically detected it or the watch and the emergency services were there within half an hour, whatever it may be. So you can see them doing it now. Or I was on top of a mountain and I phoned for help because my partner had broken his, his or her leg. You know, that, you can just see that kind of thing happening. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it is good. And the fact that it's two years with no cost attached to it in America, again, is a good thing. I guess it would be hard for them to charge for this, wouldn't it? Your, your phone can save your life, but you've got to have paid for the contract to do so. I'm sure they'll eventually sort of fill it into, you know, the Apple Plus membership in some way, shape, manner, or form. Of course, what happens in the rest of the world? Because, yeah, America's a big market, but so is the EU, so is China, so is, you know, there are other markets for Apple. And will these features come eventually to us? And will it expand to... Not just emergency messaging, but you know, all messaging when you're out in the out in the boondocks for X pounds per month or whatever it would be. It's an interesting way they're going. I completely agree, and I do think it will come to us over time because I'm sure once you've got this up and tested, and you know it's working, it will be easy to internationalize it. I would have suggested they just need to have a you know, 24 hour resource center you know in the different time zones that can do this and field the calls and contact the right authorities so i've got a couple of friends who are in the merchant navy and they were both on tenterhooks hoping that this announcement would give them some means of accessing the internet at sea where they weren't playing for i think it paying for it's called inmarsat i think is the the satellite communication that ships use when they're out in the, in the middle of the ocean somewhere where you're definitely at a cellular service and it costs them a fortune for all their shipboard stuff so they're very, very interested in the development of this kind of technology. Isn't it interesting that consumer devices like this are so interested to professionals in this market? Yeah, no, it will be interesting. You can see where it's going to go. You know. Yep, good. Well, that's enough on the iPhone 14. We better talk about the iPhone 14's Pro as well. So yeah, this is the 14 Pro and Pro Max. So they're leaving Max for the Pro line. I guess it's just so people don't get confused. There's a plus for the regular line and it's a Max for the um, not for the pro line and and they're both the same screen size and they're both very similar to last year on, on look alone they are with the the notable exception that neither of them have a notch 
Yeah, that's probably the big one for the that, that people would actually notice is there's no notch when the screen's on. It's now called a dynamic island. What do you think of the name? I think it's the worst named Apple product I've ever heard. I'm mixed on it. Part of me's like, I quite like it. And part of me's like, oh, I don't know. But I'll be honest, I'm not somebody that's great coming up with names. I don't work in marketing. Do you have a better solution? I don't. And I saw, I was reading an article today, actually, about why they've deliberately given it a name. Apple didn't call the notch the notch. We all called it the notch because it was a notch at the top of the screen. They've deliberately given it a name because they don't want people to call it a pill. They don't want any sort of connotations with people taking pills. Or in America, if you call someone a pill, they're a bit of a pillock, I think. Pillock. So, you know, it's it's an active move on their part to call that area of the screen something so that it doesn't get a worse name like Notch. So I get it, but the guy said... You know Dyna- what you are, but you are better to own the name, aren't you, I guess? They could call it Floaty Notch. Well, yeah, screen cut out, I don't know. I just don't like Dynamic Island very much. I, the guy said it about seven times in the introduction video. And by the third one, I was like, I never want to hear anybody say that ever again. I think I've said it three times now in the course of this uh, podcast. So, yeah, I kind of see what they're going for. Don't like it, though. We could join it to DI. Oh, yeah, DI, that's catchy. So on the DI, it's actually quite a nice idea. So you've got a blacked out section of the screen, which is pixels above it, which can dynamically change based on what notification is happening on the on the phone so for example if you're looking at your screen the phone call comes in that small black not not notch type area can expand out to show a picture of the person that's calling you know and how the duration of the call once it's picked up and i quite like that as a ui element as user interface element i think it's quite a nice it's a nice advancement over what was there before in terms of notifications popping in from the top of the screen yes what i liked about this is a couple of things one nobody knew anything about this fantastic great reveal on stage and the implementation details look awesome so like you say you get a phone call come in and the the dynamic island expands and you can you know tap to you know tap to make it larger and go into the detail fantastic if you're playing music it will show you a very small picture of the album up but you can tap on it and then you can bring up the in essence like the now playing widget that you get on the home screen this is awesome. I think they've done it really creatively and you've got the limitation of you have to have this somewhere on the front. You've got to have a camera and the other sensor arrays. And I think they've lent into it rather than it just being a little black pit on the screen. They could have called it black pit. It's now you got some software around it and actually they've made it useful. And so I think they've actually done a really cool job. This is Whoever came up with this deserves a medal. I haven't used it yet, but on on the reveal and the story they told around it, I think it looks fantastic. I think it's a really clever idea. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a great bit of UI. I, I, they've owned it. I hate the bloody name, but other than that, they've owned it. It is interesting. I think that notch is quite iconic of Apple devices, though. When I'm building an Xcode and I look at the list of things, all the iPhones have got the notch in it. The, the MacBook I'm talking to you on now has a notch on it. I think notches kind of define the brand, and of course other things can go and define the brand. But as we were talking about with the watch, the watch is a rounded rectangle. And as soon as you start messing with that, people are is that an iPhone? Is that, what is that? So it, it's bold. I like the way they're going with it. And let's face it, next year's iPhones will have dynamic islands. But yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a direction. Will this come to the iPad? They haven't been... Because your your comment on just rectangles, the iPad is just a rectangle. Yeah. And actually, I was with somebody with a Samsung equivalent tablet, and on the face of it, it looked like an iPad because there's no discernible things until you, as soon as you see the OS. Right, I know it now. But because the hardware just on the face of it just looks so similar, the, I do agree with you. The notch, 
both on the Mac and on the iPhone, do give it a bit of brand, you know, a bit of Apple branding. You know, it's an Apple device. So yeah. what do you think? No, I, I, I agree. I'd like to see it come to the, I'd like to see it come to more devices. I'm still slightly annoyed we don't have Face ID on our Macs, frankly. You know, I think you've got that massive sensor up there. Why isn't it on there? Everything should have Face ID by now. I agree. And it's surprising to me that it's not in more things. Like, I think your iPod, iPad mini doesn't have Face ID. It's got a Touch ID sensor on the power button or something? Yeah, correct. But I'm guessing they're doing that for differentiation. I don't know. But I'd, I'd have paid more money for it. Yeah, when you've got it, it, when you've got it like this now, and if they're going to really lean into this DI, then then it needs to be on more devices. The iPad needs to act, act in the same way, and maybe they will do that next year when it does drop down to the iPhone 15, and we'll we'll see where it goes. We'll see how it's reacted. If people react to it in the market. I think it's fantastic. And then we were talking about iOS 16.1. Apparently, in 16.1, that's when third parties will be able to take advantage of it as well. So it's great. You know, it's not just for Apple, it's for others to use. So I, I'm really excited by it. I think it's it's going to be interesting. Yep. So there was that. There was even bigger, you know, hob camera rings on the back of your phone, which is just getting insane. Yeah, I'm... I love the advancements, like the cameras look amazing, the, the sound of it. And what they are doing compared to last year's iPhone Pro 13, iPhone 13 Pro, sorry, I'm getting the bits in the wrong order. You'll have a 0.5, a 1, and then a 2 times zoom and a 3 times zoom. So they've managed to sneak in a fourth camera, but they've only got three lenses by using the normal camera and taking a crop of it so they're doing a lot of stuff with all these cameras i think it's really interesting where they're going with it i'm really excited about the cameras because i didn't have a phone last year so i think a two-year upgrade and i do feel quite privileged i can afford a phone every two years because it's a lot of money to spend but i think i'm going to see a big difference in the camera system because it was big last year and it's big again this year they've really iterated on it but a 48 megapixel camera it's yeah, cracking. yeah, it's good, and the camera is definitely, um, and the also front focus camera is also on the Pro's phones as well as the the standard phones, which is a first across the iPhone line. The cameras are great in the iPhone. I I have serious doubts about that two times lens lens because we've seen how well that's worked on the Apple Cinema Display, Studio Display. Sorry, uh, so that sort of cutout of you know trying to do something an in between shot between the two other lenses. We'll see how that goes. As somebody who does have the one times the ultra wide and the three times lens. The three times is okay, but none of them are as good as a standard camera. It slightly annoys me when you go into portrait mode and it goes to the three times camera because it's such an extreme sort of close up. I, I mean, my, my children and my pet is what I take mostly with the camera in portrait mode. And the dog looks terrific in black and white taken in portrait mode. But it's just not quite as good a camera as that sort of main camera on the thing. Yeah, I'd agree with that even on my 12. And on the 12, you only had a two times zoom, I think, or two and a half times. And it went to three on the 13. The, the main camera is amazing quality, but yeah, the, the, the zoom one just isn't there yet. I'm excited to see it. And, and I quite like the, I believe there's going to be an option on the main camera. You could just take a 40 megapixel picture and have the full resolution because I have taken photos on my iPhone. And I'll zoom in a little bit or I'll crop a little bit. Or even if I don't do that, on something that's just not as crisp. So I'm quite excited to see how this is going to work. And then I take other shots on my iPhone and they are, uh, I'm quite amazed by them. I'm no photographer, but I I do do a bit of amateur photography and I'm just amazed by some of the quality you can get out of it. If you get the lighting right and you hold it still enough, you can get some amazing shots on an iPhone. So I'm really looking forward to the camera. That's probably one of the main reasons I'm upgrading. I agree. They've made a, they always make a really compelling job of the camera. The camera is the thing that sell the iPhone on as much as anything else. Dynamic Island, satellite connections, all that kind of stuff are great. But every year it's the camera that gets a lot of fo focus. Haha. -ha. So it's it's 
another good year for the iPhone camera, I think. But they need to do something about the dinner hobs, you know, the cooking rings that are sitting on the back of the camera. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm not looking forward to the unbalancedness of it. And they did talk about it a lot, didn't they? They went on and on about the cameras in for photos. And then they did it all over again for movies. And I think they did milk that a little bit. They should have kept all that for, we've got another video. If you're really into cameras, go and watch this. But no, it's fantastic. I think really good. I'm, I'm Yeah, I'm excited about the cameras. I'm not excited about the big lump that's going to stick out of the phone. Yeah, it's not ideal. And I, I said it last week, I'll say it again. My phone still rocks even in a case now with that camera thing on the back. And you know, those very expensive lenses are sitting on the table which is less than ideal. One thing I'd got so bored by the end of the, the camera and the movie section was I missed Heli from Severance was actually featured in the video somewhere, which I didn't pick up. She was in the video, I think when the lady was on the subway. And then at the very end, they had a little flash. I can't remember if it was before the credits or after the credits, a little flash of the of Severance. Yeah, the, uh, one of the other podcasts, I think it was Upgrade, were talking about when they do the zoom through the Apple building, it would be really cool if you saw sort of the severance floor as they went through the Apple building. I guess the branding might not be perfect, but that would have been a good point. I'd love to see them leaning into a few bits. Like you could have the morning so sh- morning show studio or something, or Ted Lasso doing some training in the grounds. You know, th- there's loads they could do just as a little little bit of little bit of whimsy, a little bit of a nod to the Apple TV Plus world. I think I think it'd be quite cool. Yeah, they could have done with more of that and less time on the cameras. I think that's the whole event then. Uh, have you got any sort of crashing disappointments or anything you're particularly looking forward to to sum up? Did you cover the always on screen? I didn't cover the always on screen. That's a fair point. So the always on well, screen. They, they covered it in about 10 seconds, didn't they? Yeah, they did. That, I think that's why I've, I've sort of passed over it. We were expecting the always on screen last year on the 13 because the hardware went from 10 hertz up to 120 hertz on the screen and then they didn't do it. So... I don't know how happy I am that, you know, we've clicked forward another year and now they do the always on screen, which is great. And they presented it in quite a good way. And now it goes down to one hertz. Am I correct in saying that? Or am I wrong in saying that? Yeah, so I'm correct in saying one hertz. So that's even lower than mine. Maybe that's what they're waiting for. I read a thing saying it's more about the display driver that's built into the silicon rather than the actual screen that's on there. That's what they were waiting for. So fair enough if that's what it is. It's, it's not even a complete black and white screen when they do it. It's just muted color when they go to the always on mode, which I think is quite nice. Yeah, good, good. If you want to have that, you've got that option now, and why not? Like I said, Android phones have had it for years, so it's it's about time. Yeah, this wasn't a big driver for me to upgrade. I think it was cameras, dynamic kind of I like the look of, and then I'd say always on. I think it looks good. I'm interested to see how it works in reality. I think it's going to be good and bad with it. Like sometimes it's quite nice just to put your phone down and not not see anything flash up on it. So I'm curious just to see how what it's like in reality. But I, I think it looks great, and their implementation again feels like they're nailing the software integration. Yeah, I'd go with that. I'm sure that you'll be able to build it into a focus mode to turn it off. Yeah, agreed. Um, and I do use focus modes quite a bit for work and home. So maybe if, when I'm at home, I, I won't have it on. I don't know. We have okay. to try it out. Fair enough. Good. Okay, I'll try my endings piece again then. Any crashing disappointments or things you were super happy about? I've got a few things I thought I was missing. I thought they might have done something on astronomy photography because of, just because it was called Far Out. And I just wondered we knew it was going to be a bit of a camera year and i think some of the android phones have got this i get that it's quite a niche case and it would be great for a demo but i don't know how much people actually use users use their phones for astronomy stuff but i just thought they might have gone that way but they didn't which is fine like i said i was probably reading too much into the invite and then i thought we mentioned at home because of the whole matter piece maybe they're saving that till all their os's are updated maybe it's an october thing but i just thought it'd be a bit more around the home and the one thing they didn't mention, one iota, was USB-C. 
because whilst they ship USB-C on the other end of their charge cables, you've got you've still got an Apple Watch little ring, you've still got regular MagSafe that's been out for a few years now, and you've still got Lightning on all the iPhones and on the AirPods they brought out. I was kind of hoping they'd start snuffing out Lightning. I'll be honest, I largely use MagSafe and I find it charges really quick, so I'm just going to carry on with MagSafe. And they've not enhanced MagSafe in any way, which I'm also happy about because I've got loads of MagSafe chargers around the house. Yeah, yeah, similar. I wanted to see USB-C this year. I hope we see it next year. It's, it's dragging on a bit now. It's time. I, I thought they might have done it on the AirPods because they don't update them every year. I could see the phone, maybe not this year, but I thought they'd have done the AirPods. Yeah, it's, it needs to start happening because, you know, with the EU and the US and the way that they're regulation, now is the time. And next year is maybe a little bit too late. It's not going to stop anybody buying the thing. It is going to stop a bunch of people who know nothing about this going, at least I don't need to change all my cables again, like when the, when the dock connector changed. So, but I think it's disappointing. I think we bang on about USB-C a lot on this show, but we have we have our reasons. Yeah, I thought it was solid. With the exception of the Apple Watch Ultra, it was solid up, a solid upgrade this year. I think the space this year for yet another event where they might cover potentially some iPads and potentially some home stuff, and I think they'll do the home thing all together at that when it, when it comes along. They're all just waiting for matter and uh, things to develop from that point of view. So, you know, I'd give it a, a B plus, I think. The, the, no, I think it was a good. I think it was a good event. I'd agree. I'd probably agree with the B plus. The ultra blew me away. The rest of it was, yeah, good, solid updates. Pretty much on par with what you'd expect. Yeah, good, cool. I think we can call that a show, Chris. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can always drop us a line. We love to hear from you at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at wafs underscore podcast. Talk to you next week. Yeah, definitely. That was really good, Rod. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Brilliant. Have a good week, Chris. Cheers, Rod.